Galatians chapter 3 or grab your message notes. We are in week 2 of our study through the book of Galatians. And we're talking about what the Apostle Paul was writing to the church. See, the book of Galatians was, we call it a book, but it was really a letter. It was a letter, it was a letter written from the Apostle Paul to a church that he had, he had planted. Actually, a group of churches in the region of Galatia that he had planted. And that's what must, much of Paul's writings are in the New Testament. They are letters written to pastors and churches dealing with issues that they're facing or encouragement, encouraging them about what they're doing well. So we're looking at the Galatian church and we're talking all about what they were dealing with. See, the Galatian church was dealing with legalism because they had been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, but some people came in after Paul and said, hey, Jesus isn't really enough. Like, you need to obey the Jewish laws as well. Like, it's Jesus plus religion, if you want to really be saved. And, and what we talked about last week is it's really Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That, that the grace of God is what it's all about. And we talked about these two trees that were in the Garden of Eden in the first story of the Bible. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And how these are two different really brands of how we can approach God. Two brands of Christianity, if you will. One is about the knowledge of good and evil. All the things that I do. All the things that I believe. It's all kind of centered on what I do, whereas the tree of life is provided for us and we receive it from God. It's not something we earn. It's not something we become good enough to get God or we kind of clean up our lives and then God accepts us, but it's just the tree of life. So Paul's dealing with this. And the number one thing they were trying to get him to do is they said, hey, all the men need to be circumcised. And so if you don't know what that means, don't Google it. Just ask somebody later what that means. But they were telling grown men that, hey, it was Jesus plus religion. And it was the hardest part of the, like the most painful part about religion, you know. And you know what? Re religious, people that are religious, they like that company, you know, that, that pain and misery, guilt and shame, you know. So they were putting it on them heavy and hard. Like if you really want Jesus, be like us at Next Steps having a surgery center right next to the sub sandwiches during Next Steps. And that's, that's not what Paul was saying. Hey, guys, you missed it. It's not religion but it's Jesus. And so verse 1 says, Oh foolish Galatians. He was really kind to them. Oh foolish Galatians. Who has cast an evil spell on you? So he, first of all, he says, Who's cast a spell on you? I grew up hearing this in the King James, and it said, Who hath bewitched you? And the word there, that word evil spell or bewitched, literally is the word baskineo, which means this, the evil eye. Who's, in other words, who's put the evil eye on you? Anybody have a parent that knew how to put the evil eye on you? Yeah, the evil eye. Maybe have some people in this room know how to give the evil eye. Paul was saying, when you come to church, Galatians, who's putting the evil eye on you? Like, hmm, anybody ever been to that church before where people put the evil eye on you? Ooh, you wore that to church? I can't believe her. Can you believe what she's wearing today? Can you believe? Do you really have to have that many, this, that many tattoos? Like, really? Like, does your hair really have to be that color? You know, like, putting the evil eye. In other words, we're kind of perfect, and you're kind of not, and you're really going to walk up in here and try to act like you're as good as us. You know, because we kind of got this thing figured out, you know? And that's what he's saying. He, Paul's saying, Who's, who are you letting put the evil eye on you and trying to put you down because 
of who you are in Christ. You know, this is crazy. I always, I never saw this, that this is what Paul's dealing with, that there's this propensity in us to try to find our own justification through what we do. And then when we find ours and get our checklist, then we're able to look at everybody else and saying, ooh, looks like you need to get some stuff right in your life. I've got it together. You need to get it together. That's what Paul's dealing with. Here's, he says, for the meaning of Christ Jesus' death was made clear to you. In other words, you got it. You saw the gospel. It was as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Like, you saw it. You experienced it. He said, let me ask you this one question. I love Paul. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? In other words, when you were trying to obey the rules, how did it go for you? Like, is that what changed your life? All the rules? And he answers his own question. Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed. Because you believe the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to be perfect by your own human effort? And today, I really just want to just walk through this passage, what Paul is talking about, challenging us on this simple thing. What the grace of God is really all about. Because here's the reality. In our lives, we all have a natural pull toward legalism. It's just natural in us. We want to pay for our sin. We want to pay for our mistakes. It makes us feel better. Like when we sing Amazing Grace, we're like, it really can't be that amazing because I need to do some things to make it work. You know, my, my oldest son, the other day, he got in trouble from some teachers of his. Well, he, he was acting up in class, and would, I, we were talking about it, and I, I, they were told, I was told that he wasn't doing good that day. And I said, got home, I was upset at him. I said, son, what do you think I should do? And his little gear started turning, you know. And I'm thinking he's going to say, well, you know, let me have candy, dad, or something like that. And he says, no, dad, you need to give me a whooping. <laughs> That's what he told me. <laughs> I mean, what do you say to that? You know, what do you say? I mean, like, he's smart. He knew exactly what to say to me. But it's so funny. I was, like, thinking about his little heart. There's something in him that he wanted, it's like he knew he deserved it. And it's like a lot of times in life, it's like I know how bad I am. I know the mistakes I make. Yeah, it's like I need to do some things to, so that God, you know, so I can kind of pay God off for what, he does, for what he's done in my life. I need to pay for it. Grace can't really be that amazing. I need to do something about it. That's why Paul goes on in verse 10. It's there in your notes. He says, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. In other words, if you live your life by a legalistic approach, if that's how you're going to approach God, you're never going to be blessed. It's not that God is cursing you, Paul's saying. He's saying you're essentially living your life in a way that can just never be blessed because you're not living based on how good God's being. You're living based on how good you're being. And he's just trying to tell them newsflash, you are not good. Like you cannot always live up to 
to the law. You cannot always live up to everything that God expects you to do. Like you make mistakes. And if you're going to try to be perfect, he's like newsflash, you can't be perfect. And here's the first idea that I want to communicate to you today is that the law couldn't be obeyed. I believe that's what Paul was trying to tell them. The law couldn't be obeyed. They had this law that was given to them. But the problem with the law was simply this. The law on their best day could just not be obeyed. Because if you made one mistake, you were a lawbreaker. If you made one sin, you were a sinner. It's like murder. Like if you, how many people do you have to murder for you to be a murderer? Like one. Like if you murder somebody, you are a murderer. And if you sin, you're a sinner. And he's simply saying this, that if you're going to live your life based on you, then, then you're never going to be able to do it in your own ability. If it's just your legalistic approach to God, you can never pay God off. I have a, have a, just a simple picture here today that when we sin... There is a chasm that was created between us and God. It wasn't that God was trying to distance himself from us. It's simply this, that God's a holy God that just cannot be with sin. So the moment that we sin, there was this huge chasm between us and God. And no matter how much we tried to get there on our own effort or jump or be good enough, or some people believe in a 51% heaven. It's like if I do good 51% of the times, if I do more good than bad, if I help enough, you know, ladies across the street, you know, if I'm, you know, give enough to charity, if I do this, it kind of offsets my bad. But the problem is like our righteousness to God is like a mountain from the moon. Yeah. Like we may be a little bit better than somebody around us at work or a family member or a friend. But when we compare how good we've been to how good God is, like it's, it's a chasm that just can never be uh, brought between. Like we are, it's impossible forever for us to ever be able to achieve in our own ability what God's done. And then the other problem with this is that sin has with it a penalty. The penalty is simply this, death. So we want to get to God. The only way we can cross the chasm is by death. Well, that kind of leaves a problem because we're dead if we try to do it ourselves. See, hell is not a place where God sends people that he's mad at. I believe hell is a place where God sends people to pay for their own sins if they want to. Just they're trying to do it on their own. They're trying to do it in their own ability, in their own, their own will. And that's what Paul's trying to tell the Galatians. Guys, never forget that it could never be done. That's why he goes on to say, what then is the purpose of the law? And the purpose of the law simply is this, that the law leads us to Christ. When we begin to understand that we cannot do this in our own ability, like the law, it, the law brought us to the place where we're like, God, I'm bankrupt without you. Like we are that person in that picture standing looking at the chasm and the law shows us that we have no ability in our own human effort to be able to make it to who God really is in our lives. And that law leads us to Christ. And Paul's simply saying this, guys, don't go back because you cannot ever make it on your own ability. We have such a tendency that we get saved by grace. We get just a picture of how good and grace-filled God is toward us. And then we immediately, like those Galatians, we want to jump back from this tree back to this and say, well, God, I, you know, I kind of need to earn all the things now. You know, I need to earn your grace now. And it's just not true. You know, if my life as a pastor, if my... If my life as a pastor is just simply to be your cop, that's not something I'm interested in doing. If, If we're just 
preaching behavior transformation, like just follow the rules. So every week is like this. Stop it, quit it, quit it, stop it. Don't do this, don't do that. Go, don't go there. Don't, 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 don't. Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week, and I'm going to do another series, part two of called Quit It, Don't Go There, and uh, we'll see you next week. And if my whole life as a pastor, just some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You grew up in that church. You know, you grew up, it's all about what you, you better quit, you better stop. Okay, amen. We'll see you next week. And why is it that you wish there was like 10 days in between Sundays at that church? Why? Because God never, God never had a dream that we would be fall in love with behavior transformation, that just behavioral change. He had a dream that we would fall in love with him and his grace and his might and his power and all that he is. And that's my goal as a pastor. Like, I feel like if I could just, if I can let you see Jesus in all his glory, like the things of this world, won't even be a comparison. We used to sing a song whenever I was a kid, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Guys, it's so true. When you get your eyes on Jesus, the things of the world are not even appealing anymore. See, our motivation changes when we fall in love with who he is. We stop doing good to try to get God to love us. This is what this is. But we start saying, God, you are so awesome. The life that you've given me is so incredible. So now I want to live right, and I want to do what you've called me to do because you've made me right in you, and I'm so thankful for that. That's why Galatians 3.24 says, The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. Isn't that good? See, legalism tries to make you to do right. But the gospel is all about making you right. Because when you're made right, it's a, you can do right. But if you live your life trying to, be, trying to do right, it's no different than any other religion in the world trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps to get God to love you. And he says, hey, the gospel's totally different. So I just want to give you five simple ideas of what the gospel is. My prayer is that you would get a fresh perspective of who God is. I'm just calling this message today, embrace grace. That you would understand what the grace of God is all about. Here's the first thing. Grace is a free gift. Grace is a free gift. Jesus didn't come so that you could earn it. He paid the price for us. It'd be like this. Like you were walking down the street one day and, and you didn't notice it that, the, that there was a car coming your way. And right before the car hit you, someone came and pushed you out of the way of the car and they were hit. And they died saving your life. You and I would probably spend the rest of our lives being so thankful for that person. We would get to know their name we would go over to their family's house. We'd take them gifts at Christmas. We'd take their family gifts at Christmas. Like our whole lives, all of the blessings we would enjoy every time we would have, a, have, have something amazing happen to our family, we would be thankful, but you know, we would be thankful for what happened. But you know, we'd also say, you know, if it hadn't been for so-and-so, if it hadn't been for them, I, don't, I wouldn't have what I have today. And guys, I want you to understand, grace is not something that you purchase through being good. Grace is something that was given. And if it had not been for Jesus, if it had not been for him in our lives, where would we be? 
See, grace is not something like God had, you know, $100 in his pocket and it's like, oh, I'm going to, I need to give my son, I need to give my kids a gift. Oh, here's five bucks. Here's some grace. Oh, you know, don't worry about it. You know, sin's no big deal. No, sin was such a big deal. It had to be paid for that he gave his own life. He gave his one and only son so that we could have grace. In the courtroom of your life, when you were declared guilty, the judge stepped down and took your punishment for you. Like grace is a free gift. That's why Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You deserve, I deserve death. But the gift, the gift wasn't just forgiveness. The gift, yes, was forgiveness, but it was Jesus. Jesus was the gift. Here's the second idea about grace, that grace is received by faith. Grace is received by faith, not belief. This is something that, that many times we can, we can be kind of confused about, especially in the Bible Belt. We think we're saved because I believe, I believe in Jesus. I'm, I'm saved. I believe in Jesus. That's wonderful you believe in Jesus. But grace is not just believing in Jesus. Grace is trusting in Jesus. Big difference. Believing in Jesus doesn't make you a Christian. Trusting in him does. You know, G, the devil believes in Jesus, but that doesn't make him a Christian. The last time I checked, you know, he, he, he has a mental assent that, that Jesus is real. But what changes our lives is when we begin to say, all of me, I'm putting on all of you. Like, my belief is going on you. Like, I trust you, Father. I give my life to you, Jesus. Like, it's all of me for all of you. It's like your kids. It's like, um, you know, if you have little uh, cousins or, you know, little kids around your family, it's, it's awesome. And little kids, they'll do a trust fall without blinking an eye. You know, you know a trust fall like at summer camp? I mean, they'll just fall on you and you're like, oh, I gotta catch you. You know, they don't think for a minute that their parents are not gonna catch them. Like, they, they know that mom and dad and cousin and aunt and uncle is going to catch me. And, and, and that's what belief on looks like, not just belief in it. They, they could say, well, I believe I have a, I believe I have a dad. I believe, but, but belief on says, I believe dad will catch me. And that's really my question today. Do you believe he'll catch you? Like, do you believe he'll lead your life? Do you believe if you put all of you into his hands that he'll take care of you? Can you put your dreams into his hands? Can you put your work into his hands? Can you put your, your, all of you into the hands of Jesus? And that's what it means to receive grace. Because maybe you're here today and you're on that line. You're like, I, I'm believing in Jesus, but, but he doesn't have all of me. I want to tell you there are some things about God you will never fully begin to comprehend until you put your trust in him. That's why the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It doesn't say read and see or observe and see. Well, that would be awesome. Like, oh, I read about it. I know he's good. Or I observed it in someone else's life. He's good. No, the Bible says that you don't truly know the goodness of God until you taste it for yourself. And if you, it's like saying, you know what? Do you, wanna, do you like California? Oh, I hate California. Have you ever been to California? No. Want some sushi? No, I hate sushi. You ever tried sushi? No, you know? 
Um, it's, it's usually how it goes. You know, when you talk, you know, it's like, I've never, never tried it. Don't know if I, I don't like it. And here's the thing about God, that until you go all in, and that's what I want to challenge somebody today, hear this message of grace, that today is, 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 is your day to go all in. And I promise something will happen. There's a life transformation that begins to happen when you start experiencing the grace of God. Not just belief in Jesus, but trust and belief on him. That's why Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For it is by grace, by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from ourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works. And there's a reason it's not by works, so that nobody can boast about it. If you have a boast in your spirit about what you've done for God, you probably aren't embracing grace. Well, I did this, and man, I go to when grew up, you know, I church all my life, and I grew up. If, if if you can put a litany of things why you deserve it, you probably haven't got a full picture of what it really is, because it's something we can never, ever deserve. Here's the third thing: that grace is available to everyone. Number three, grace is available to everyone. Romans ten thirteen says, everyone, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Let us never be the church that tries to cast the evil eye on somebody that walks into this place because of what they look like, because of their past, because of what they're currently going through, because of what clothes they wear, or because of what car they drive, or because of what mistakes they've made. Because guys, grace is for everybody. We don't get the opportunity to qualify who God calls. We are just called to love and to extend the grace that's found only in Jesus Christ. And this is what it's all about. We're a church, we say it all the time, for all people. That what I mean by that is it doesn't matter if you're rich, you're poor, you're black, you're white, you're, if you're educated, if you're uneducated, if you know about Christianity or you don't, or maybe you've been divorced or you're not divorced or you got kids or you don't have kids or you're single or you're, what, like whatever you are, the grace of God is just as available to you as it is to everybody else in this room. Like we are glad that you're here. Like we are not in this place trying to judge who is here and who deserves it because here's the reality, none of us do. None of us deserve the grace of God, but it's available to you like it's available to you. You don't have to know. You don't have to be smart enough that you say, I don't know enough about the Bible. Like the grace is available to you. Like, like wherever you are, that grace is available to you. Here's the fourth thing. Grace comes only through Christ. Jesus is really the only way to heaven. And here's, here's the reason why. You say, well, that's narrow. Well, well, it's not purposely trying to be narrow. It's not purposely trying to, trying to point fingers at other people. But here's just the reality. And, and from where I see, as much as I've looked, that Jesus is the only one that's ever dealt with the problem that I faced. Jesus is the only one that ever paid for my sin. Jesus is the only one that's ever come and paid a bill that I owed. He's the only sinless person that, that, that gave his perfect life for my sinful life. And, and he's the only way to receive grace. Jesus really is the way. He's the truth and he's the life. That's why first, for John chapter 1 verse 17 says the law was given through Moses. 
But grace and truth came through Jesus. Romans 5 says, Many people have received God's gift of life. How? By the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. I want to tell somebody, you got to know him. You got to have an experience with Jesus. That's what changes us on the inside. And Paul writes to the Galatians, Don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if we could have been saved by keeping the law, then there was no need for Christ to die. It's him. It's what he's done. That's what grace is all about. Number five, grace is extended throughout eternity. Grace is extended throughout eternity. When Jesus saved us, this is such a revelation for me. He paid for my sins past. He paid for my past sins. He paid for my present sins. And he paid for my future sins. It's powerful. A lot of times I thought that. It's like, God, you paid for my past. Now I come to you and, man, every time I make a mistake, then and you're angry at me and mad at me. I love what Pastor Todd said. God's not furious at you. He's furiously in love with you. So good. And you got to understand, when he paid for your sins, he paid for everything. Like, his grace is, is, his grace is so amazing. His grace is so incredible that it changes our lives. It says, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Maybe you say, all this grace talk, preacher, sounds like you're just telling people they can live however they want to live. Sounds like you're telling people just to live however you want to. Well, Paul dealt with that in the book of Romans. He said, hey, should we sin so that grace will come? And In other words, should we just live however we want to? He said, God forbid. But rather, when you get a picture of God's grace, you don't even want to sin. Like, your motivation changes when you start living in the right tree. It's not because I got to, it's because I get to. It's what changes. Everything changes. I love this verse in Titus. Titus 2.11, there in your notes it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us. I thought that was so awesome. Like, when you get a picture of grace, grace teaches us. Not religion. Not some preacher telling you what you need to stop doing or... No. Grace. Like, when you fall in love with who Jesus is, that grace begins to teach you to say no to ungodliness, to worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I want to conclude with this today. Here's what grace looks like. Grace is when what you ought to do becomes what you want to do. That's what grace is. When the things that you ought to do start changing in you. Maybe you're experiencing the change right now. Maybe you've been experiencing God's grace over the last few weeks and you say, hey, there's just something different in me. What's that? That's the grace of God. Don't stop. 
Keep on pursuing his grace. Don't let the devil put you in guilt and shame. So I need to do and be and do all these things more. And then God will, no, 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 no. Receive the grace of God. Because too many times we miss the significance of the sacrifice that was made for us. Heard a story this week about a man that lived in the 1930s named John Griffin. He was a bridge operator on the banks of the Mississippi River. His job was to um, pull a lever that would lower and raise a bridge. And when he would lower that bridge, it would make it so that uh, passenger trains could come from um, Memphis to St. Louis. And this was his role. This was his job. And John had an eight-year-old son that would love to come to work with him and play with him. And they'd go fishing together while nothing was happening. And one day his son happened to be with them in the observation tower and they got lost, they lost track of time and John said, oh man, I, I can hear the train coming from Memphis going to St. Louis and it was a passenger train of 400 people and he didn't want to alarm his son so he said, hey son, stay right here in the, in the tower and dad's got something to do. So he, he went over and uh, went, went uh, kind of in the distance a little bit and, and found the lever that he would have to pull to, so that the train could pass safely. And right when he got to the lever, he heard a scream. And the corner of his eye, he could see his son that undoubtedly had moved from where he was and had fallen down. And his son's foot was stuck between two large gears on this bridge. And he knew in his mind, he, he didn't have the time to, he had to make a choice to save this train full of people or does he sacrifice his son? And in that moment, the story goes that John Griffith did the unthinkable. He pulled the lever. When he pulled the lever, he could hear the cries of his eight-year-old son being crushed there on that bridge. The bridge closed just in time in the train passed by without a hitch, without anybody knowing. And John fell to his knees in light of the sacrifice of what had just happened in the moment. And as he did, he looked up at the train. And as he looked at the train, he saw people drinking wine, laughing, eating food, just going about their day, completely oblivious to the sacrifice that he had just made so that they could be safe. And as I heard that story, I got thinking as a father of two, there's not a person on this planet that I would pull that lever for if it was choosing between my boy and them. But at the same time, our God did that for us. Like when it came between us and Son of God, He said, I love them. But I think in my own heart, I can be like those passengers where I'm just going about my life completely oblivious to the fact of what Jesus has done for me. And in light of that kind of sacrifice, what is there that I could ever do? So my prayer today is that we would embrace grace. That we would get 
in our mind's eye the sacrifice of what's been made for us. And we would say, God, I'm not, I'm not living this life trying to pay you back because how could you ever repay that? But God, I'm living this life because of what you've done for me. I'm going to live in freedom. I'm not going to let religion get all over me and try to make myself good enough to come to God and judge other people. No, 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 God. I'm set, I'm set free by the grace of God so that I can be everything that God's called me to be. My marriage is in grace. My family is in grace. Like everything about me is in the grace of God. And that's why I live the way that I live. There's no sacrifice too great in light of his sacrifice for us.